Hi, and welcome to our Support and Leaders in Education podcast. My name is Claire. I'm the Events Manager for Witherslack Group, and I'll be hosting today's session, which puts a focus on a topic that we've certainly been hearing a little bit more about over the last year or so, and that is blended learning. This month, I'm delighted to welcome to the podcast Dan Flanagan, Deputy Head Teacher at Bridgeway School in Preston, and David Phillips, Head Teacher at Chilwell School in Nottingham. Thank you both so so much for joining us. Um, now, I know I've given a little bit of an introduction there, but before we carry on, would you guys like to say a little bit about yourselves and tell us about your work? Dan, maybe you can go first. Um, yeah, so I'm Dan Flanagan, um, Deputy Head of Bridgeway School. Um, so we're a school for 54 young people uh, with SEND, uh, predominantly young people with a diagnosis of autism uh, and other neurodiversity, so ADHD, ODD, PDA. Um, so we, we've had blend learning in place, um, throughout and I've been in post for, it's my third year now as deputy head, um, of a, a new school. So that's me. Thanks Dan. So over to you, David. Yeah, I'm David Phillips, head teacher of Chilwell School. We're, uh, we're a secondary comprehensive in Nottingham. We're a school of a thousand. Uh, we are 11 to 18, uh, generally teaching mainstream comprehensive, uh, secondary students. Uh, prior to that, I'd been a head teacher in Leicestershire and have spent really all my career in the East Midlands. Okay, great stuff. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll crack on with our questions now. So to begin our conversation, blended learning is something that since the pandemic, um, we've been hearing a lot more about. Um, so in your opinion, what is blended learning and how can it have a positive impact on a child's learning? David, would you like to go first? Yeah, um, certainly blended learning has had, has had a massive impact over the past couple of years. Um, I think the interesting thing is that the, while it's become popular now, I think it's been around for a significant amount of time. Yeah. Um, certainly if we, if we think back to some of the early developments of, uh, of online courses, you can go back to schools like Thomas Telford, I think, who was developing um, online courses for their students back in the 90s. Yeah. Um, and certainly when I took over as vice principal in the, in the secondary, um, a number of the courses that we were currently offering, especially in sixth form, were being built around the use of websites and uh, online services like Moodle, uh, which were able to provide resources in place for students to work independently through, um, as mm-hmm. well as having face-to-face contact. So um, those existed, and I think what's happened is uh, the opportunity I think in many ways, even though the the pandemic has been incredibly negative in so many ways, it has provided schools with an opportunity to develop areas which were um, which were developing or or were not embedded to the same extent as they are now. And I think we have, if you like, um, leapt a hurdle now and and we are in a situation where it is much more accepted, uh, much more clear right across the curriculum. Clear, our our computer science team were already using this this as as part of their learning to support the curriculum. You have um, other departments who I think somehow sometimes have been a little uh, less keen to come to um, uh, online learning. For example, you yes. know, perhaps English or the performing arts and things like that. And and I think that's right in the, in the sense that uh, not everybody needs to be sitting in front of a computer. But I think mm-hmm. the idea of blended learning offering a support for students to be able to get that support independently is really valuable. Yeah, absolutely. 
Dan, have you got anything? Yeah, I completely agree. I think it isn't. It hasn't necessarily been a, a new a new thing in education. I think um, if you look at kind of hospital schools, virtual school networks mm-hmm. uh, for young people with SCND, it's been happening for quite a while. And I, I completely agree, David. I think it's got massive opportunities, um, particularly for for learners like we cater for with SCND and, and neurodiversity. Yeah. I think it, it's another tool that can really really yeah. individualize learning and, and offering yet another way to differentiate for young people and actually young people who may have anxieties or mental health and who are at home and actually for them to come out is a huge thing so being mm-hmm. able to support that and give that that all the bit of support is a fantastic opportunity and i think it's it's bringing what a lot of other schools have done it and i know abroad it's been happening for years and in, in kind of singapore and in china it's, it's a system that's been in place for many many years and you know we look to prepare young people for it for life after education actually you know we look at employment now and even before the pandemic a lot of courses were done online and even within education ourselves cpd is increasingly and increasingly was already so actually i think it's almost education catching up with as well the world of work and industry so i think it's a a, something that it has been there and is it's just only going from strength to strength Great. Okay. So um, how have you guys successfully implemented this type of learning in your school and, and how do you monitor the success of it? You know, are there any examples you can perhaps share with us today? Yeah, um, I'll go first. Um, yeah. Yeah, we, we implemented it um, even though we had the majority of our young people throughout lockdown. Uh, we were always open. We did have a, a significant number who still were um educating educating at home throughout or keep and keeping her safe at home <laughs> the words changed all the time yeah. um but actually what we did was was in times of almost to replicate the curriculum that we had in school at home uh, mm-hmm. and obviously with for our learners that was so important because of the the consistency and the neurodiversity to make sure that they had that consistency and they saw that it was the same and it was there was value to it and yeah. um, the first thing we actually made sure we did was in we implemented their clinical curriculum so we made sure actually as well as the the academic the core curriculum actually we implemented the clinical aspects so we did social stories through blended learning we and remote learning mm-hmm. uh we had input from therapy teams um with the pupils at home and we and that would actually we started that from the very early days of this be really being rolled out in school and that was to make sure that actually the needs that we know within school are met on a daily basis that we yeah. we maintain that they were still met at yeah. home and then for us it was a case of then once we knew that the that those needs were still met that actually they were still able to self-regulate at home they were able to get themselves into consistency we then went into putting in the curriculum um mm-hmm. from the from the start and i think david would probably you know um of, of more of a volume of pupils being off school probably go into more what the curriculum but we we integrated that and it and it was almost we tried as much as possible to a mirror of what we did in school from the start yeah was was for us really and it, it was successful in terms of so it kept pupils engaged in in the learning uh, we were able pupils at home were able to because we mirrored it we found that actually when they came back to school there wasn't as many issues in terms of reintegration the fears when yeah. the anxieties and with our learners when that stage came when young people were starting to come back to school Mm-hmm. the anxieties were much much less and we also found that they were the gaps in learning and the recovery curriculum wasn't as as wide as we thought it would have been because actually yeah. they, were, they still had that consistency um for us but obviously it's, it's the need of our school the priority for our young people was to make sure yeah. that their needs were met and that actually they were still in the, that regulation they were still able to access the support that we oh. give and, and at the same time then start to learn again 
brilliant okay and david yeah i think i think dan's point about the the, the clinical curriculum and and, and and ensuring those routines are in place is 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 actually what we grew to developing um i yeah. think what we started with uh, because we'd only had part of our secondary curriculum online as a, a, as i mentioned about uh, the computer science curriculum um Everybody else had to move very, very swiftly. And in those yeah. first few weeks, yeah. we we rapidly realized that what we were creating was was the kind of like the electronic qu- equivalent of a kind of dressing up cupboard where where actually you've got you've got loads and loads of resources that people were kind of yes. throwing yeah. into yeah. that, but actually no kind of organized way of trying to make sure that students could yeah. access it in a structured and coherent manner. Mm. Um and that was fine for the first couple of weeks because it was manageable. But we knew that the longer this went on, the more of a mess it would become, the more yeah. difficult it would be to be able to access. Yeah. And it would uh, cause more alarm for our students rather than mm-hmm. really supporting them. So we were already using, to a, to a certain extent, Google Classroom. Um, and rather than trying to sort of reinvent something or or even buy something in, you know, according to the old sort of Thomas Telford model, it was a being being able to buy into uh, something that was much more accessible, uh, basically ultimately much much cheaper, um, and that we already had some expertise within school in terms of how it might be used. Yeah. Um, so we then adopted the Google Classroom model. It meant that we were able to build it on on that basis, and it meant we could then start structuring it. And that's what we've then kept moving forward into this year that that actually acts as a kind of like the skeleton the spine the structure of where those resources and where that learning sits but at the moment we obviously hope that uh, that acts as a backup that acts as a kind of like a structure that sits behind what takes place within the classroom Um, so so now it becomes um, if you like an online textbook uh, an online course uh, which allows students to be able to, rather than dig out an old exercise book to try to understand the work that they did six months ago, they can much more ex- easily go back into that lesson, find those resources and pick that back up again. Yeah, yeah, brilliant, brilliant stuff. Okay, so as I've been doing my research for the podcast, I've come across a number of different styles of blended learning. And I wondered if perhaps you guys can talk us through some of them. Um there's all sorts of names out there, I think, but the ones that I've been been looking at are the flip classroom, enriched virtual model, individual rotation, and the flex model. So some very interesting names. Um, but you know what what do they ex- exactly mean? Uh, well, the flipped classroom has has been around for some time, and again, as Dan mentioned, in different countries, it's it's come across quite successfully. And I think the flipped classroom certainly was being used uh, in India quite successfully um, in terms of making sure that students could get access to resources, access to reading, and then that's prior to the face to face learning, so that students would have the opportunity to independently look at electronic resources that would be perhaps pre-reading as we are sometimes asked to do pre-reading before a course and then on attending the course we are then in a position to be able to discuss what we believe or whether we agree or disagree with those those issues Um, and I think flipped uh, the flipped classroom was quite attractive as as a model that I, I did start to look at but then quite rapidly started to think that it really does depend 
upon needing to make sure that you've got learners who are incredibly confident and learners who are able to make sense and have already the skills to be able to organize and interpret material. And I think think that's some of the problem that we sometimes got within education, that, that actually those skills of being able to do the research beforehand and then come ready to discuss them from a from a position of real power um, is is quite a risk. And I think you can do that much more easily with sixth form students or more able students yeah. than perhaps you can with the main body of students that you deal with. And I think the evidence is there in terms of how we sometimes arrive at CPD when we're best to do pre-reading and you haven't and you're quickly trying to catch up in the session. Yeah. Um, the the enriched virtual model is perhaps the uh, in terms of the name is probably closest to how we've been operating mm. over the past couple of years, um, where we've had the opportunity to be able to present online learning, and yet the enrichment is defined as being the point at which students can come into school and get face to face support from from mm-hmm. staff. Now. We are. We have been operating in a way where actually we've we've wanted that enrichment to actually be the focus, to be what students yeah. are doing that they're in school, um, and we were we were offering certainly the enriched virtual model for those students who were in school, uh, the children of the key workers or those children that were perhaps more vulnerable in their learning, yeah. um, and they were in school getting that kind of model. Okay, Dan, have you got? Yeah, so um, individual rotation was probably actually, um, like David said, actually, we, we kind of went between enriched virtual and yeah. individual rotation. Individual rotations, that it says it in terms of the pupils have a very, very bespoke timetable in terms of a mm-hmm. very, very bespoke offer. So for us, that was a case of it could be for even within the same class, one young person might have a clinical session. Yeah. One young person, so they might have had a check-in with their form tutor, or they might have a check-in with, with a, th- a clinical member of staff. Um, the next session they might have had might have been in terms of actually in the classroom. So they might have been virtually within the, within yeah. the classroom. Um, and, but then another young person in that same class, actually, that th- them almost zooming in um, into a classroom wouldn't have necessarily been the best for them because yeah. of their individual needs. So actually they might have had a one-to-one session with a with a, a teacher or they might have had a, a room a virtual classroom with other young people who were off um and it was it's kind of how we evolved to it it was a, yeah. a, a slow process uh, and obviously it was the needs of our learners because actually for some of our learners being in a room and actually hearing their own voice was a sensory problem hearing echoes um all these little things feedback so actually it was a lot we, we evolved and evolved and evolved um to to get to that place of rotation and it's actually something we still have in the background for our young people so we, yeah. we still have young people who for their own needs might might still access actually elements of this at home and still and mm-hmm. um, what we found with with the kind of individual rotation it just it gave that level of individualization to to young people it also mm-hmm. allowed us to really 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 like well bespoke to make sure that the input that was going on for that young person was exactly what they needed um, yeah. For some of our young people, one day that might have been a heavy clinical session or actually just checking in with staff members. On another day, that might have been a more traditional lesson. Yeah. Um, we also built into that um, heavily social time uh, and communication just because obviously um, the, our young people, uh, sweeping statement, but they they do struggle with social communication, obviously with yeah. neurodiversity. And 
a lot of the time they're not young people who go out into the community normally. So mm-hmm. in such when the world was in such uncertainty and abnormal yeah. normality, those skills were all were, were were even less than they would have been. Yeah. So it was really important for us to actually, you know, how do we build this communication back in? And this was something parents were telling us. So we we decided to do it in a safe way and in a controlled way that is in there. Uh, The the flex model is is a kind of a a combination of all in a way. And it it allows the young person to almost navigate it themselves. Yeah. Um, It's not something for us, for for ourselves that we, we did try with one or two individuals. But it, it doesn't have as much structure to it that for our young people. It's yeah. probably more suited to young people in sixth form or university um, in terms of because they, they can be a bit they, more responsible. Yeah, they can yeah. opt in. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, when you're, when, I suppose, when you're dealing with second age pupils, if you if you're being told you need you can do an hour of maths or you can go and do an hour of social time, I know what a majority Which, yeah, probably would have chosen. <laughs> so yeah. it, it does require, I feel, a little bit more kind of ownership and a little bit more maturity um, to do that. But no, the individual rotation for, for our, the needs of our young people um, was probably what we did the majority of yeah. the time. Okay, brilliant. We'll move on to our next question now. So um, I'm sure there are many schools out there who, who are already doing this, but um, for those that are wanting to implement a form of blended learning in their school, if they're not doing it already, what are the things to consider beforehand? <laughs> Where's the starting point? Or, you know, what are the stepping stones to, to making a, a success of it david would you like to go first yeah i i i think the the first thing is is why do you want to be able to use blended learning what, yeah, what's, it, the what's it going to add um and i think there's some one element i will dismiss quite quickly and that actually it's it's probably the case that blended learning might offer the opportunity for some organizations to reconsider their staffing model um, and that was certainly some discussion that was taking place about the use of blended learning and about mm-hmm. if you can imagine the opportunity to have banks of students sitting in front of computers where the learning is direct you know, on the screen in front of them right. and how that could be managed arguably with less staff. I think we need to mention that that is perhaps a way that some people might consider it. That's certainly nothing to do with how we want to do it. Our, our no. consideration no. wholly is about how does this help our core purpose, which is to be able to educate young people? Yeah. Um, and so there, then in, in tackling that, I think it's important just not to, to get carried away with what the technology might be able to do, but actually just remain, in, in fact, true to your core purpose. Um, and I think w- once you've got that clear, that you want to be able to make sure that the students stay on track, that they are actually yeah. achieving the curriculum you want them to achieve, it's about keeping ownership of that as a school. Um, there have been a, a whole bunch of resources that have been produced by the pandemic, many very useful ones. Mm-hmm. But actually, I think what we've also seen is questions where people have said, here's a ready-made curriculum for you. Um, and certainly, whilst there's been quality resources produced within Oak Academy, it's also been, I, I think, a bit, little bit disturbing where lots of people have talked about, well, here's a curriculum ready for you. And I start to think, well, if if you're if you're abdicating responsibility for your school's curriculum, what are you doing as senior leaders? You know, what what is your core purpose? What why why are you there? And then it's about implementation. So, it, and I think we have to be really clear that it's about making sure that staff training 
not only in terms of what you want them to be able to achieve, but the accessibility for staff, the clarity of what you want them to be able to do. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, we assume nearly all the time that actually, you know, you go past a classroom door and a teacher is in there in control and experience and they know what they're doing in that environment. A blended learning environment is incredibly different. Um, yeah. And the experiences that we had in delivering that and experiencing that and doing regular teaching through that was, it was, can, can be very disorientating. Yeah. You know, it's, especially for, for staff who have been in the profession for quite a significant number of years and yeah. have tried and trusted methods by which they get success in the classroom. Yeah. A blended approach is significantly different. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I agree with David. I think it's, it's that it's, it's the, the vision of your curriculum. And I suppose it's, it has to have the purposes to why you're doing it. And I, I love yeah. David's analogy before of the, the dressing room. I yeah. suppose those first few few weeks and months of the of when when this really came out, we we were all like that. It was just this kind of yeah. ideas everywhere. And once you streamlined it, it, it's that why are you doing it? Um, because for me, it's it's it. You don't want to double the workload of of staff, and you know you you don't want to do that. So actually, if this is done well, it can be a part of the curriculum that's already in place. That actually that staff can just take that off and it's another tool it's another resource that yeah. you can deliver your curriculum and actually if, if it doesn't fit into your curriculum you know why are you doing that and i think that yeah. we constantly went back to that all the time with our with our staff was why mm-hmm. are we doing this because yeah. if it's not having the impact on our young people and it's not increasing life chances and, and increasing their skills and knowledge etc and, and just giving them what they need at that time why are we doing it because it's not good for the young person it's not good for the staff yeah, um, and I think it's that like as well it, it's it's keeping it real you know why and also to the young person why are you doing it, it you know it, it has to have that structure it has to have the expectations but actually those expectations aren't exactly the same as in the classroom because yeah. we found you know with you again I think I've said about 10 times in neurodiversity you know we we had to learn that some of our young people did not like the sound of their own voice so we had yeah. to find ways around that so actually we were using chat rooms and in terms of the chat function other mm-hmm. young people wouldn't look at themselves so actually in terms of communication you know when they, when you weren't having eye contact and seeing the engagement how do you do that it's a it's another yeah. so our mm-hmm. expectations had to change yeah. as, as yeah. practitioners you know as david said i wasn't trained in this and i feel in education for this is my eighth year yeah. um i wasn't trained certainly wasn't trained in this and i'm a relatively youngish member of slt and i certainly didn't have that knowledge so actually i have teaching members of staff who have taught longer than me and they certainly weren't trained in that yeah so it's that as well you know the expectation of staff of, of actually is it is it realistic to expect that and also i suppose like david said there's great resources but at the same time you don't forget the core of what we do yeah the most the yeah, biggest thing we said fun. that we did was still sent out paper resources you know we, we quarantined it and we asked the parents to quarantine it back in the days when when the yeah. transmission risk was much higher but yeah. you know we 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 sent home paper resources because we found actually our young people yeah. got that oh it's paper i'm in the school i'm doing that and actually it, it's then still a traditional classroom because it's it's still open your book here's the here's the learning objective here's yeah. the data etc cetera, etc cetera. and it still had that familiarity to our young people so mm-hmm. they felt they were starting a lesson and ending a lesson and you know why? Why throw out the baby with the bathwater? Almost, if yeah. if it works, do it. Um, you know, 
we and I think that was that was part of it. I think if you if you are just implementing it or looking to implement it, it's why you're doing it. And also don't forget the basics of why we're educators in the first yeah. place. And, and you know, way. teachers are brilliant yeah. and brilliant at adapting, but they do need time and yeah, um, to do that. Of course. Okay, some great advice there. Really good stuff. Okay, so we I think we touched a little bit on this on the last question, but we'll go for it anyway. So here we've talked a lot about the opportunities you know that can be provided by blended learning and the positives and everything but what about the difficulties or the things to watch out for when you're using it um i think we touched on it but if we if we can just sort of go go over go over them that'd be great um i think it's 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 that isn't it like david said again and we keep going back to it's the why you know the difficulties of, of actually just because you can do it doesn't mean you have to do it. Um, yeah. You know, of keep it keep it simple to your core of what you do as mm-hmm. as a professional, what you what your curriculum's for. Um, I think the difficulty as well, you know, and and as again probably the eleventh time of of educating young people with neurodiversity is this is massively different, and even young people without neurodiversity, it's it's so different, and actually. Yeah what are you expecting that young person to do and also you're sending home resources and classes to parents potentially who also aren't educators so yeah. again the expectations and it's a real real danger and um i know david's definitely in terms of talking in you know teaching comprehensive sectors and you know anyone the safeguarding element of of it is is huge you know you you do have to really make sure that you are so up to date on the safeguard and he's so up to date in terms of yeah. protection of staff and pupils to make sure that everyone's safe and particularly in the world of online we, we live in absolutely you know we you you open a screen you are opening up that entire curriculum to your entire school almost to to yeah. be with it uh, as a start yeah and david oh, com- anything? yeah completely agree i i think that issue about safeguarding and the well-being of of staff and students is 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 a massive issue to to try to get your head around you know we were conscious of the fact that you know we were we were dealing with students operating from their homes potentially mm-hmm. operating from their bedrooms or from the kitchen table surrounded by the rest of their family you know and, yeah. and, and other people in place and so you've got to make sure you've got procedures and processes in place that actually mean you can continue with the learning and make sure that people feel comfortable now in the end Schools, I think, operated in different ways. I mean, some schools were very insistent that students needed to be on screen and visible um, in, in front of each other. Uh, we took the line, actually, that we could clearly see that the students were there, but they actually had the option of not having their camera on. And yeah. uh, for for many classes, you would have a combination of students who were looking at you and you could interact with them. But yeah. it was quite hard and very hard for staff who were teaching potentially up to, you know, four, five, six lessons a day of talking into their uh, camera, looking at a screen of up to 30 uh, just symbols. Um, and that's yeah. that's a hard, yeah. hard <laughs> ask. Uh, and 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 uh, as Dan said, you know, the use of the chat facility was something that it was clear that the students were much more comfortable with rather yeah. than actually a, a, a be, being a disembodied voice in, in that learning environment. So the chat facility became really helpful and really useful. Mm-hmm. Um, but it still put a lot of pressure upon upon staff during those times when, when school was in lockdown. Um, 
and, and and the downside also is that I think that that loss of the human element of it, which is 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 really what what education is all about. It, it's about the ability to learn with it with other people, um, yeah. and and to enjoy the development of those relationships and learning in an environment where you know that you're achieving something together. Um, and that was something that, that that I think, whilst the communication seems to be enhanced through this kind of methodology there are some real downsides to it and and, yeah. and you get very very tired at the end of the day yeah yeah now uh, moving on to our to our next um question we've talked a little bit about some of the the technology or it systems um, that you know might have been used um but what particular ones have you guys been using you know and what role ha- have they had to play in you know making it all run smoothly are there any pitfalls i suppose we've just talked a little bit about about it then but yeah so any any sort of particular systems that you found beneficial i i'm a big fan of um of trying to make sure that there's some consistency um so Mm -hmm. whilst i'm more than happy for individual teachers within their classrooms to teach in a way in which they feel most comfortable there are certain basic expectations that you have in place that define what your school is so trying to make sure that you've got a a structure that's in place for that to happen. Um, We'd already identified that we wanted to use Google Classroom. Therefore, that meant that that then defined when we wanted to get additional resources in place and specifically hardware and the the laptops that we were entitled to get hold of, uh, we went down the Chromebook route uh, to be able to make sure that that fitted most easily and effectively with the the model that we were using. Having created that Google Classroom, then using the Meet facility within it, and I know all the different versions, you know, and and the same with Microsoft. uh, Microsoft Teams uses the same kind of idea of that face-to-face. But we were also able to build into that um, a a monitoring system, which meant that the teachers didn't have to take registers. So we could start to actually, after the event, pick up the level of attendance that we had from from students which was then flagging up for tutors and year leaders any levels of concern about mm-hmm. students uh, accessing the work, um, whether they were still communicating with us and, and, and what support needed to be put in place for them. Yeah. So, so that was really helpful. Um, and then access for parents as well, because uh, if, if you've got students interacting with a screen um, or sometimes just speaking into a microphone with headphones on, um parents being aware of exactly what's going on and what the learning is all about is is quite difficult so we found ways also of making sure that parents knew what the lessons were containing uh they didn't necessarily get all the resources but they had a clear idea and would get updates on what material was being covered what assignments were being set and so they could see that separately to to help them with us with, with their children brilliant okay dan yeah, the the same. Um, we use Teams, uh, WebEx yeah. a lot. Um, I think Teams was was definitely, and it's something still in place around school. And yeah. we still use it with with any young people who might be isolating or um, in, in in other circumstances. Um, I think I agree with David again. I think the the, the parental input of you know, a they're not all educators, uh, so the expectations yeah. in terms of what you send home, you you have to make sure is very clear. Um, also making sure that the the ICT systems they are they are simple to use and they are user friendly. Um, 
I think it for me there has to be a lot more teachers are very good anyway at, at responding to different circumstances but with IT it's it can be so unpredictable and, and you know you are yeah. on the other end of the line relying on young people who may have very intermittent connection and when yeah. you're talking about young people from deprived backgrounds etc you know they may not even have enough enough devices to for other young people in the household yeah. to do and it's bearing in mind that you know again the expectations on the initial young people of, of are you taking into account that what you're doing the young people actually in the first place can go and do it yeah um, and I suppose going back to that individualization of you know for certain learners who may come from backgrounds that or households that they don't have a quiet space they, they, their bedroom yeah. might be shared with three or four other young people yeah of again the expectation of what what's in place for that young person and, and really making sure it's as much as you possibly can and, and we found that it was it was a a real pitfall for us and also again the neurodiversity needs or the SEND need of a young person of is this the right thing for them um yeah. because the the rates nationally of young people with with autism and an SEND or it kind of taking part in remote learning was very low nationally compared to the the right. average um so actually it, it's a case of, of what can be done for those young people and, and to to enhance things and i suppose technology systems are getting better with that um as it goes on really yeah okay right let's move on to our next question now thanks so much for your answers there um so some staff may find it difficult to adapt to these new ways of working you know even following all the changes that the pandemic has brought with it um, some may be keen to get back to, you know, to get back to normal as as as, pos- as soon as possible, to, so to speak. Um, but I guess that's unlikely to be the case now for the foreseeable future, but also not necessarily um, the best way to go about it as well. Um, and so what can we do to support the staff, um, you know, that might struggle to adapt to the change um and you know like the technology side of things as well i think it's um it's just making it part again going back to the why isn't it of making it part of what you do uh yeah. of the culture and it, it does need to be part of cpd it, you know it needs to be you can't just expect staff to do it you have to give staff the training and the time to, some, yeah, to, to import with that but at the same time it's it's it, it, it's the normal for your school um and yeah. how you put it in you know mm-hmm. this is something we are still using as a school um in elements and we still have plans to use it um but it, it's it's again it's being on developing all the time you know the cpd is t- making that into account and taking that pardon me taking that into account in terms of of us upskilling staff mm-hmm. we're actually now you know again not 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 because we think there's another lockdown but actually because it worked for our young people upskilling yeah. the young people themselves and this is a this is an expectation for you in part of your curriculum you know you'll do certain elements of it online or at home and i think it's just that constant support and, and it being there and it is part of what you do it's not just forgotten and it's on a shelf that you break in case of covid almost and take it off yeah. you know, it's mm-hmm. part of what you do as a school um that that's kind of how we've we've taken it and yeah. i suppose if you get people on the journey and you people see the purpose of it and the reason why you are doing it i, I find people will adapt Warm to that and, and come along yeah. on that yeah, on the journey as well, David. Got anything to add there? Yeah, I, I, I completely agree with, with with what Dan says. It's about supporting staff, but I, I, let's put it in the context of actually constant change within the field of education. Anyway, yeah. um, you know, I, I when I started teaching, um, I actually was in 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 the cohort of teachers who were 
before the age of projectors. You know, we were still using Bander yeah. machines. Uh, we were, in some cases, whiteboards themselves were only just being introduced into schools. Mm -hmm. So if you think about where we are now, as opposed to where we were then, there are so many changes that the teaching yeah. profession have, have faced and have, and have dealt with and have coped and, and have adapted. Um, mm -hmm. And I think what's happened with the situation we were in with the pandemic is there were clearly some things that were obstacles to effective education. Um, and the whole, the whole issue for us of having bubbles in different parts of the school, which meant to a large extent that our key stage three students were really denied the opportunity to be able to get opportunities to work within um, uh, the science labs and to work within design areas clearly is something that we hated and is something that yeah. we wanted to be able to move away from and get back to a sense of normality. But at the same time, I think with with new situations, you you have to look at what are the things and what are the opportunities that we want to take from this. So there were things that we introduced as part of our behavior systems in order to keep children safe during those, that time of, of lockdown and bubbles that we've still kept because they mm -hmm. work effectively as an, within education um, and masks, all of us, you know, want as, as quickly as possible to be back to a situation where we can see each other's faces properly yeah. um, and not be in a situation where that's, that's limiting us. But I think blended learning is something that as we started this, this discussion was already there and perhaps was just looking for the right kind of environment, the right kind of opportunity to be able to take it on. Now, it has been an incredibly negative experience, clearly, for everybody within the country. Yeah. But it is circumstances like this that actually allow developments to take place that could potentially yeah. work for us. Yeah. Okay. So on to our last um, question or topic today so as we as we close our podcast what would be your sort of if you could do a list a short list of do's and don'ts of things to consider when introducing blended learning structures to your school you know what would they be what would your do's and don'ts list be who wants to go first i'd i'd, I'd say that we've touched on this in our previous question uh, answers but yeah, the, yeah. planning the structure up. to support the learning so that you can make sure that those routines are in place, that there's uh, a clarity of message and that things are done as simply and straightforwardly and coherently as possible. So it's about the structure and that's that's key for senior leaders yeah. to be able to offer both for teaching staff and for students as well. Um, and again, uh, take, taking the approach to, to make it as easy as possible for people. Uh, yeah. Sometimes within school, you know, there, there's, there's often complaints that people have got hurdles to jump over and obstacles are put in their way. But well, surely as senior leaders, our job in the, the circumstances we're in now is to make it as easy as possible for teachers to be able to do their job and for learners to be able to learn. Um, and I guess my my biggest don't is just don't assume that that uh, that plans will work, that people will understand yeah. what you want to be able to do or that people will be able to adopt them straight away. Um, the, the level of um, anxiety that we had across our staff ranged from, you know, one extreme of being 
fine, bring it on. Yeah, I'm loving this. This is new learning opportunities to other people just almost going into shutdown because it was yeah. it was so different and so difficult for them to be able to get their heads around. Yeah, some really good points there, really good points. So, so Dan, have you got anything to add to that? Yeah, I completely agree. I think it's just keep it to, to what's the best for your learners and, and what's the best for your school. You know, you, I think leaders particularly – should be the voice of of the staff and also more importantly the voice of the young people under your care and you know like david said a leader's job in school is to really remove those barriers but and i think yeah. as much as you possibly can um individualize that because not every learner can access in the same way and mm-hmm. um you don't i'd say really don't forget the communication elements you know we've we've I yeah. this has come through throughout actually we've discussed of this is communication but actually it's it's not real life and and yeah. really how do you keep developing those skills that young people are so vitally need of of you know and keep those expectations in because it's so important because yeah, young people who are most vulnerable actually at the moment are the ones who probably suffered the most and gone within the, the, the shell so actually yeah. this has to be something that brings them out of that and supports yeah. that and it doesn't just push it back down really yeah of course of course Well, that's a wrap on today's podcast. Some really, really great discussions there and wonderful advice to people as well who are wanting to find out more about how to successfully sort of deliver and implement um, blended learning. So I'd like to say a big thank you to you both. A big thank you to David and a thank you to Dan as well for joining me today. And also a thank you to everybody who um, who will be listening to this. Um, if you are listening, you're probably already aware of the advice and support resources on our website. But if not, please do have a look on there. That's www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash resources. So thank you once again to our speakers, our listeners. And I hope you can join us on another podcast in the future. Bye for now.